Welcome to the latest episode of Pixel Drone Show, a weekly podcast where we talk to people doing all sorts of cool things in the drone industry. I'm Kara Murphy, and my co-host today is Haya Kestelou of Drone XL. Greg Reverdio of Pilot Institute is unfortunately not able to be with us today. We're coming up on almost a year now, and I'm really excited to share that one of my guests is a former colleague from Interdrone Expo. CJ Smith is now Adorama's category marketing manager for drones. He also contributes to their official blog, 42 West, which I highly encourage everyone to check out. For those not familiar, Adorama is one of the biggest and most established retailers for camera gear in the world. Also with us today is James Bushy, Adorama's Director of Technical Services and a UAS training instructor. It is great to have you both on here today. Welcome. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Great to be here. So um, just to kick things off, what inspired both of you to get into drones? Uh, yeah, I can I can start. So uh, thanks again for, for having us. Um, CJ Smith, Marketing Manager for Adorama. Um, as Karen mentioned in the intro, I used to work for Interdrone, um, the International Drone Conference and Exposition. That was actually my first uh, really foray into the drone space. So, um, you know, consumer drones, hobbyist drones. I knew I had friends that, that flew them and I always thought it was fascinating, but that was uh, when working my time at Interdrone was the first time I really got to see the enterprise drone um, side of the industry and how companies, agencies, uh, state and local governments, all the way up to the federal government are using drones for um, various different types of missions and uh, saving time and money along the way. Um, one of our uh, one of our constituents um, said that the drones drones are always good at doing the three Ds, so the the, the dirty, the dull, and the dangerous. And uh, that's been something that I try to repeat a lot <laughs> when we're speaking to, to our potential customers. So um, really just been hooked ever since. Um, you know, I love technology. Aviation has always been interesting to me. Um, anything disruptive is fascinating to me. And uh, I think the drone, industry kind of lies at the intersection of, of all three of those those pieces so that's cool how about you james um so i originally went to school uh to college for photography back when film was still king and i saw the uh the transition of uh, film into uh, digital and at the time when i was going to school i worked for a company called radio shack and so we were always tinkering with things building rc planes and helicopters and our little back uh, workroom workshop. And uh, then fast forward uh, from that, I switched gears, went into law enforcement, uh, which I just stepped out of uh, after 16 years, where we uh, started a drone program about seven years ago. And we were the, the only game around for that for public safety in our area at the time. And so I'm um, kind of meshing all that stuff together, um, you know, Adorama, um, giving me an offer to come over and work with them to uh, kind of help train other agencies across the uh, the board with um, drone technology because it's been evolving so quickly and um, yep. the use cases and that type of thing that uh, would be good to have. So it's kind of where I yeah. blended all those things together and here I am now. So Awesome. <laughs> I want to circle back uh, to you real quick, uh, CJ. So as a marketing manager for drones for Adorama, like what do you guys do to market drones? I mean, what does that, uh, what does that entail? Yeah, so I think when people hear about Adorama, a lot of people are familiar with uh, the website um, selling camera equipment, and a lot of times are familiar with the consumer side. So we 
we sell uh, consumer drones to hobbyists from DJI to Autel to um, even even the cheaper drones. Um, you could you know people are given to their their nieces and nephews, um, and then also the the enterprise side of things, and that's where we we leverage James' expertise a lot too. So my job is really to um, you know, manage the marketing presence for Adorama, both on the consumer side and also to, to enterprise. So when it comes to consumer, it's a lot of the standard marketing channels that we're familiar with, like social media and email, um, blog writing. And then on the enterprise side, we do a lot of uh, in-person events from demo days to small conferences um, to webinars and white papers and longer form uh, editorial content. Um, so there's just always a need for education on the enterprise side. And um, so, you know, my, my job is to help facilitate that, but then also really bridge the gap and, and make sure that we're going after the hobbyists and the um, agencies and organizations uh, equally and, and making sure that we have different marketing strategy and plan in place to go after both of those subsets of the overall drone market. Has, has your role been been different and impacted by COVID and, and the fact that there weren't as many in-person uh, conventions, expos, that kind of thing? Man, yeah, uh, it, it definitely had. Um, you know, I think obviously working remote is a is a is the the biggest impact that we were all uh, most of us were were challenged with right off the bat. Um, you know, the, the lack of events definitely had. You know, we, we've seen that impact kind of our, our strategy, especially for the larger drone events, which draw in large international audiences. Um, you know, one thing that we've been able to do to kind of offset that is, is doing a lot of these smaller events. So sometimes these could be a 300 person expo um, for a local tactical officer officer association or something like that. And I'll support James and we'll bring out a bunch of the drone equipment and, and, and do booths at some of these smaller events that were, mm -hmm. that were, that were less impacted by COVID um, less attendees overall, less uh, international travel, maybe more of a local audience. So we have uh, obviously seen COVID affect everything, but we've, um, we've been able to pivot and, and I don't think we've had too much um, of a slowdown in, in, in kind of our primary marketing functions. So how about you, James? Um, how did you get started with Adorama? <laughs> and um, how would you describe your role? Yeah, um, so I started uh, as a customer of Adorama's when I was about 13 years old, um, buying camera equipment. Um, <laughs> I have a family of photographers, and that was, you know, looking in the back of popular photography magazine and picking out what I wanted um, and kind of shopping through them that way. And through the years, um, progressed on to on the law enforcement side of things because Adorama carries so many different things, um, computers and networking gear. Our department would buy a lot of those products from our, our sales rep. And then we branched into drones, um, naturally, you know, kind of started with them on that side of it as well. And so um, over the course of time, I've always liked to kind of, you know, dissect, you know, the different things that we get in technology to see like how they, what makes them tick, what makes them operate the way they do and really understand it at a much deeper level than just kind of surfing, you know, menus and submenus and that type of thing. And so when I would go out and use it for something I thought was, um, had a good purpose to it or, or something that would be helpful to the salespeople at Adorama, I would just share, you know, some of the videos I took when I was out on the search and rescue scene or an overwatch scene and just give it along to them. It's just like, hey, if you you know have other law enforcement or public safety partners you think could benefit from seeing what this drone can actually do in these types of environments, you know, please just feel free to share it. And they always kind of joked over time, like, oh, you know, one of these days we're going to steal you away from law enforcement. Oh, okay, you know, down the line, <laughs> huh, you know, just kind of joke around about it. And then it became more serious. 
as time progressed and um, they started contracting me and then eventually I came on full time. There you go. And and you mentioned uh, in your introduction that you had a background in, uh, in or you just said it, in law enforcement. Uh, can you tell us exactly what you did and how you were using drones in that environment? Yeah. So um, I was, I ended as the chief of police um, in uh, yep. an area, the southeast corner of Wisconsin, about an hour and a half north of Chicago, Illinois. So just over the Wisconsin yep. border. And the, the community that, that I work uh, in was um, heavily, uh, um, geared in the uh, summer um, like vacationer side of things. So we have a lot of um, high-end clientele that come out of Chicago. We would um, often have parties where James Taylor would show up, uh, the Beach Boys and Diana Ross. And uh, so we would, because we had such a small manpower department and these large scale events to cover, we were leveraging technology as much as we could um, in those environments to kind of help us um, you know, keep track of what was going on across the property, make sure we didn't have unwanted people coming in. So everything yeah. from that to doing search and rescue on the lake um, or out in the middle of fields where we might have a small child go missing or somebody with Alzheimer's. So we were kind of bouncing around um, in a lot of different um, use cases for the drones, uh, everything out to, um, if you're familiar with the Kyle Rittenhouse situation that happened in Kenosha, um, I ran air operations um, I'll, I'll Several of those days um, when I was, um, you know, we were asked to come out and help out in those um, those environments, I guess we'll say, um, all around, across Wisconsin and uh, Illinois. So it sounds like you've been using drones for, for quite some time. We always like to promote uh, drones when they're being used for good. Do you have any success stories from back then from search and rescue missions? We do, yeah. Um, actually, yeah. we had two back-to-back -back, um, pretty close to one another. Um, we had a, a, an elderly female who had wandered out into, uh, who had Alzheimer's, uh, wandered out into a cattle pasture, and it was um, sub-zero freezing temperatures. Um, they had realized probably an hour or so after she had gone missing uh, that she wasn't, you know, around. And obviously time was of the essence when it was in those types of temperatures and where could she have gone. And so um, it wasn't our jurisdiction. It was a neighboring jurisdiction. We were called out there to assist. And within about eight minutes, we found her lying amongst the cattle in the pasture uh, and were able to get her back in safely uh, from that. So, and we had another similar situation, but with a smaller child that had gone missing. So that is really why we started our drone program was we have 36 square miles and, you know, eight or nine officers uh, as a whole team, you know, so one to two people a shift really um, that are out at, at any one time. So for us, if something happens in times of the essence, you know, to be able to leverage a robot to go out there and help us do a lot of that work where we can't get 50 people or 100 people, you know, hand in hand to go out and look in that pasture or those fields and that type of thing to look for somebody. Yeah, we, we covered quite a few of, uh, of those kind of stories uh, on Drone Excel as well. And it's, it always amazes me how quickly uh, first responders are able to find people quite often, actually, with drones and thermal cameras, where it happens in minutes. And uh, meanwhile, they have, they have uh, tens of volunteers walking around in the dark, and they're <laughs> unable to find that person. So I think that's probably one of the best use cases of drones. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So... Um... Adorama has a rich history, starting off in New York City, where there was a physical storefront built that is still there to this day. Um, and when the, co when the founder died a few years back, there was an incredible outpouring of love and support for his family. I'd like to hear from you, um, what makes Adorama so special in your opinion? Yeah, I think, like you mentioned, it's it's 
it's almost synonymous with with New York. I know that's a little bit of a of an extreme statement, but I mean, like you mentioned, the the storefront was there since 1974. Um, a lot of people think of Adorama right now as a big e-commerce website, which we are, but Adorama has been around since long before the internet, and they were selling. Uh, products out of their brick and mortar store. And um, they, they've always hired from within the city um, and, and really grown and, and become uh, kind of a part of the community. And so, you know, I think that that rich history, um, just the dedication to, to its customers. I mean, there are lots of loyal, loyal customers that have been shopping with Adorama for dozens of years, um, 20, 30 years, even sometimes. And that always amazes me. Um, you know, even just when I'm out talking with people, I let them know I work for Adorama and you always are surprised to, to hear who, uh, who knows Adorama and, and their relationship with, with the brand. So, um, I think, and I think what kind of makes it a little bit unique too, is just the, uh, the dedication to, to customers. So, um, from customer support to building out a whole team, like James's team, he leads a team of technical specialists and their job is to help customers understand the products that we're selling, you know, we're selling products like drones, which um, customers have lots of questions. And, um, yeah. you know, these are expensive uh, flying robots that, uh, you know, come with different software and rules and regulations require training. And so Adorama is really there to support and, um, you know, really just hold the hand of, of, of companies, of local governments, and even consumers and, and hobbyists through their purchase uh, cycle and, and ask the questions or answer the questions that these people have. So, um, that's, I guess, to, to me, what makes it kind of special. And, and, you know, James has been a longtime customer. I'm sure you can even speak to uh, on that side of things, what, what, you know, his experience with, with the company. Yeah. Um, I, I know at least on the you know professional side, when I was a customer and the law enforcement side of things, um, you know, if I talk to anybody on their, their B2B team, it seemed like everybody kind of remembers who you are, even though I'm some small town police department in Wisconsin. Um, you know, when I could call up and talk to somebody like, oh, hey, James, how's it going? Oh, how's that drone working? Or how's that computer working? We sold you that type of thing. Anything come up? You know, it just it was always seemed like there was a lot of um, personability, like in, in your interactions with people there, like always wanting to, you know, make sure everything was good. And then you knew who you're going to call and talk to. It wasn't just some random operator that you got on the phone with. And, you know, they would do a lot of um, digging for you if they weren't exactly sure what the solution was or um, how we go about getting it they would do the homework and come back with you and, and get you an answer. So I think that's something that's been really important. Why I chose to come to Adorama um, out of a, I had a really good job in law enforcement. I had no reason, you know, to leave uh, where I was at. Um, but I liked what I was doing with them um, as a contractor. And then, you know, kind of seeing as where they want to evolve to, like where they are at even now and then where they want to see themselves get to is something that as a roadmap that I, I agree with and want to be a part of. So. It sounds like having that storefront initially and also having that personal connection over the phone has always been important. Uh, I believe mm -hmm. that you guys started the website, uh, adorama.com, back in 98, so early days for sure. How do you translate a marketing strategy that used to work in brick-and-mortar stores to then online? Like, How is that different when you don't have that immediate uh, feedback from customers uh, when you talk to them? Yeah, and, and candidly, that was a little bit before I think both of our times there. But but there are there are a lot of folks on the marketing team that have been that have been around and are uh, and been working in a marketing function since before that function existed. And I, I always bring up like our pay per click PPC marketing examples. And a lot of these folks have been there 
and are doing these jobs and have been in that role since before there was that technology to even need that role. So um, you've got a lot of the marketing team that's been here for a long time and they've learned, um, they've just learned new marketing tactics and learned um, the new marketing uh, strategies that, that are out there for, for companies to engage with each other. And, and then they, they've been with Adorama for a long time. They know the brand better than anybody. And, um, you know, they're, they're committed to kind of adapting and innovating and, and keeping Adorama uh, current on, on all sorts of marketing trends and activities. So that makes sense. And, um, is it, is it harder to, to give people convincing reason to, let's say, buy from you guys instead of some of the competition when uh, online is really your only channel of communication in, uh, in many transactions? So I think it comes back to um, like what James and I were alluding to earlier, just with the customer service, the um, handholding through the through the purchase cycle, and um, you know having that uh, having expertise and specialists on hand, they can talk mm -hmm. about when it comes to drones, right? Software yeah. payloads. Um, I think a lot of competitors not only do they not have the in-house uh, experts to talk about what to buy. But Adorama actually does all the support on the, on the other side after the purchase as well. So ah. um, we can repair drones. We'll buy back your used drones if you are an agency and want to upgrade. And we can even finance the new drones that you do purchase. So for us on the drone side, we're really building out a, a whole ecosystem um, that, that provides kind of unmatched customer support. Um, and we think this is the best way to kind of help the proliferation of this technology. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, we talked about drones for good. This is, you know, we all believe that, that these, um, that this technology is, is being, it will change the world and really do some yeah. great things. And so this is the best way that we can kind of help create a sustainable industry, uh, in, in the country right now. Yeah, I totally agree with that uh, with that statement for sure. Uh, does this also mean that if, let's say, there's a police department that doesn't have a drone program yet and they call Adorama or they go through your site, would you guys be able to help them from, from start to finish to basically set up their drone program, uh, supply the hardware, train people, uh, service them? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, we do that quite a bit. Um, you know, anytime we come in interaction with somebody um, or we get a lead um, a lot of times. So my, my team is is directly like kind of the backbone to the sales division. So, you know, we have salespeople that mm -hmm. get on the phone with somebody, they bring us in and then we can kind of talk, um, you know, to the, the program that they're trying to stand up, if it's something brand new, or they're looking to expand on an already existing program and kind of figure out like a lot of questions we get asked with those are, I'm not sure if I'm training to the best of my ability, or I, I've done all the trains I should be doing. And how do I know then how do we hit those benchmarks and a lot of those things. So a lot of our questions that we answer for clients, because myself and Jake, one of my colleagues who have done a lot of drone operations in our, our previous lives, Jake was uh, big into the mining and um, like an agriculture side of things uh, with drones. So we kind of bring both of our insights in to kind of showcase like, hey, these are some of the training practices we used over here and this is what works well. And just kind of talking about those things just to kind of help them understand like where you're at now, maybe where you should be. Uh, and, and kind of checking those boxes, which a yeah. lot of people just aren't exactly sure about. But yeah, we, we do that um, all day long uh, for customers. It's just you know, do virtual demos, in-person demos, trainings, whatever they need. Yeah. Yeah, because hi, that basically what you said is exactly what we noticed was that there's uh, agency, they want to start a drone program and mm -hmm. we could sell them a drone, but they're not going to get the most value from it. If they have a bad experience, they're not going to
And uh, as far as the models, you know, I think uh, the, the, the Mini 2 um, has been popular, but then if moving up, you know, those, those kind of those mid-level uh, yeah. tiers, like the, the Air 2, Air 2S, two those have been yeah. extremely popular. We've even seen some uh, agencies and organizations purchase those to just do some training, um, just to get their sea legs, for lack of a better word, with the DJI platform before moving up to something like uh, an M2EA, a, a DJI Enterprise Advanced or something like that. And James can speak even more to some of the enterprise drones in which he's been seeing a lot of traction with. Yeah, we've seen, I think uh, this has been a big year for seeing people step out of like those those Mavic size drones and um, stepping into like the M300 platforms where, like TJ said, you know, getting their sea legs where now they feel comfortable flying these smaller platforms and kind of seeing, you know, what they can do in optimizing that solution, but then where its limitations hit and where they really want to step up into the next level of performance and like capabilities and that type of thing. So there's been some, um, you know, supply chain issues, obviously, where I've, I've noticed some people who were maybe more dedicated to one brand switching to another just because they don't want to wait. And awesome. All right. So uh, let's talk about 2022. Are there any things that uh, you guys have planned from Adorama uh, in terms of drones or are there any big product launches that you can uh, share a little bit about perhaps? Product launches, I can say I can say yes. I uh, can't give too much more detail on that. Um, we're we're kind of held uh, by our by the vendors to keep that information private. But uh, there will be some big exciting stuff coming this year, so definitely stay tuned. Um, as far awesome. as marketing, um, you know we're we're going to be out creating a lot more content. We want to create a lot of use case videos. Um, you know, get. James and, and our other specialists out in the field and get a camera crew out there and actually show um, kind of a, a, a full comprehensive use and a mission with, with this aircraft. So it's less than, you know, showing an M300 in the air and saying it has this flight time with this type of sensor and this resolution, but more how are you using drones for search and rescue, what you may need, and um, really provide kind of that level of uh, uh, of, of information to our customers. That's what we think is really missing right now in the market. So that's, you'll see a lot of that from us. On the other side of things, you'll see a lot of, uh, you'll see Adorama on the road a lot. So James is, is super busy doing small demo days. So he'll go out and, um, and show various different systems to one or two local agencies and give them kind of a hands-on experience for half a day. Um, you know, we've seen that that has been extremely effective for just, you just got to see it to believe it some of the times uh, or just see mm -hmm. it to kind of understand the value and, 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 and be there to ask questions with somebody like James, you know, these demo days have been extremely, um, extremely important and valuable for us. So we'll keep, keep doing that. And then we'll be on the road at um, a number of different conferences. We're looking at AUVSI this year, we're looking at CommuAV again, and then a lot of the smaller, and for, for James's sake, uh, a lot of the smaller law enforcement shows. So I know he was just in one in Wisconsin. We'll be in Michigan and Indiana. Um, and, and driving around and, and, and exploring at these. And I think the last piece is, uh, your viewers may, may be aware, but the Florida drone ban, as, as some people are calling it, but Florida came down and basically said that governments in their state are only allowed to purchase blue UAS, which are the same yeah. five drones that were made uh, available to the federal government. I think in 2020, they announced that. Um, so we're gonna be down in Florida um, showing off the drones that we have, which are approved on that list. We'll talk to them about buying back the drones, which these agencies had, which um, they're not allowed to use at the beginning of 2023 due to this list. We can finance the new drones that they are purchasing. 
um, and then we can train them on the new systems as well. So we'll be in, we'll be in Florida a decent amount this year, um, trying to help agencies kind of grapple with this news and 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 figure out what's best for for their departments as they move forward because they have until 2023 January 1st yeah. to basically retire um, any of the non-approved drones that they're that they're flying. A follow-up question I have on this, though, is uh, how disruptive is that when you have departments that might have bought five or ten uh, of a certain type of, or DJI drone, basically, and have people trained and have all the equipment and hardware? Like, how disruptive yeah. disruptive is it when all of a sudden uh, they can't use those drones yeah, that's, anymore? That's huge. Um, I know, yeah, speaking from experience, you know, and, and knowing how government spending works, and, mm -hmm. you know, when you get a certain allotment of money that you only have, you know, you can only use so much or so often. So when you're stuck with something for several years, you know, now all of a sudden you get, like you said, this, this disruptive, you know, patch that comes in here where now you have to try and figure out, well, what am I going to get for these drones? I just invested a lot of money and energy yeah. training and, and uh, keeping going and now have to all of a sudden figure out a new system, which a lot of those systems are much more expensive, you know, to get into initially. And then mm -hmm. there's the training and learning curve that goes with those. So yeah, it's, um, you know, we've, we've noticed a lot, like even here in Wisconsin, they had one that was just trying to go through recently, uh, to, to ban DJI specifically. And, um, there's a lot of agencies wow. had no idea it was even coming. Um, and so they were all of a yeah. sudden like, what, what are you talking about? Like, we're going to not be able to use these drones. I just bought one last year. We didn't know this was happening. And now all yeah. of a sudden, how do I explain this to, you know, there, there are some agencies that are very concerned. They won't have a drone program anymore just because they've already spent that kind of money and, Money is so tight now. What do I do? You know, so right. Yeah, right. I mean, if you if you invest in drones, you I mean, you don't expect them to last forever necessarily, but you should be able to get a right. good few years out of them before you need to upgrade, right? I mean, uh, and especially uh, the expensive models like the M three hundred, that budget uh, yeah, yeah, adds exactly. up, I guess. Yeah, and for, for yeah. these small agencies too, it may have taken them five years to build their whole fleet up, and now they essentially have one yeah. year to replace it, and you know they have small budgets and it's, and it's tight. So that's why we think, you know, offering financing is really important yeah. um, so that these agencies can pay these drones off over five or so years um, and, and, and be able to basically get their fleets back to where it was before this, this ruling. Uh, and hopefully not, uh, you know, there'll still be a, a, a hiccup there, but hopefully it won't be as bad as if they needed to really yep. replace everything all in one year. So there are misconceptions surrounding drones, I think, thanks in part to some members of the media. But what do you think is the biggest misconception about drones for your audience? And how do you help educate them that drones are, in fact, good? We, um, When we were starting our drone program in my local community, a lot of people thought that we were militarizing, essentially, like we were going to be doing what they're doing overseas. And the word drone really had this kind of negative connotation to it. And so we were trying to get people to understand hey, we're just a local agency, we have very limited manpower, and we're trying to leverage technology on our behalf to help us do the work out there that we wouldn't normally have. And so, you know, I think there's definitely been a lot of progress on that front where people now feel a little more comfortable, but still like there's the people that have the uh, some of the public um, have some, I think, just a lot of misconceptions of what they think that we're out here trying to do with this type of technology uh, and public safety. So just educating the public, you know, on, on that behalf and then also educating the users in these public safety entities to do it the right way, because, a lot, you know, anything that one department does is going to have a black eye on the whole industry. And so that's one of the most important things for us is making sure that 
we're, we're passing on the right information and we're you know pushing on people that, hey, if you're gonna invest in this, also invest in making sure that you launch it the right way and maintain it correctly so that you know the next agency down the line isn't gonna pay for the mistakes that you make, so. Mm-hmm. So with both of you uh, actively uh, working hard on the on the marketing strategy for for Adorama, where would you like to be in, let's say, five years from now? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, we'd we'd like to be a household name and kind of the go to uh, the go to place for 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 purchasing drones. And again, it's not just the aircraft. You know, we want to be a kind of a one stop shop for all of your accessories, your software different payloads you might need. Yep. And then obviously all the support on the backside from training to financing and, and even buying back drones when you're ready to upgrade. Um, so we really want our, our ecosystem. We call it the Adorama drone ecosystem. You can learn about it more on the website, but we really want to get that um, uh, just in, in front of every agency and organization. And because we know we can help them. Basically, we have uh, we have the experts on staff. We, we um, you know, we don't we don't push products that we don't believe in or that we've had bad experiences with. And uh, that's always been really important for us. So we, you know, we want, we know that um, if the technology, in order to have the technology be sustainable um, and like implemented sustainably and have a, have a, have a successful kind of impact on, on society, we need to just help people use it the right way and get value from it um, as soon as possible. So I think this might be directed more towards James, but CJ, please feel free to jump in. Could you tell us a little bit more about what being a drone pilot for Adorama entails? Yeah, so um, I guess um, for us, we, you know, we have um, our, our in-house team, we also have some subcontractors, but we kind of go through a, a you know more in-depth vetting process to make sure that the people that are going to be the ones talking to the the end users in whatever facet that is have some type of real world experience. And, you know, our team doesn't just try to take everything on individually. We all kind of, you know, round table together and make sure that we're bouncing ideas off each other to make, you know, see if there's anything that we, you know, one has missed or, or other um, ideas that someone's taken from a, a different, you know, background in drones like Jake doing confined space flying and me doing more public safety, we know we kind of talk about some of the similarities in those, you know, um, facets, but then also, um, you know, the differences and something maybe he's done that I haven't. So we really try and bring people in that have had a wealth of knowledge actually using the products in the field um, that they can then turn around and talk to people about that reality when we're talking about purchasing stuff. So that's the biggest thing I think in our minds is how do we find people with that experience to be a part of the team to bring that knowledge to the customer. So how many how many part 107 pilots uh, are working for Adorama and are you guys like spread out over the country or, or yeah, how does that um, work? So we, gosh, I have to look and see how many we have now. I think do we have six or seven pilots, um, somewhere around there. Um, and we're, we're actually uh, mm-hmm. about to add on some more. So that's kind of where it's been at right now. We've just been trying to figure out you know, the marketing side of things and kind of get our bearings straight. And I just started in this position within the last 60 days. So, you know, I cover all the different facets of um, the B2B, whether it's pro cinema, pro audio, video, IT forensics, and then all the specialists that fall within those. So the drones has been something we've been really pushing hard on. It, it's just been trying to figure out, you know, what product lines we want to bring in this year, uh, what we want to invest in, and then what, you know, pilots we want our company that to go out there in the field to do that. So. 
Um, are there different roles involved? So for example, it, do you mostly do search and rescue or what are some of the areas that you tend to focus on the most? Um, yeah, I think definitely the, the public safety search and rescue, you know, type of, of feel is, is the most prominent. Um, we're branching and making a huge push this year in the oil and gas uh, inspection. Um, and then I recently started working a lot with uh, road crews that do like highway work. Um, so we were showing like yesterday, I was actually out flying, um, showing how to inspect a bridge that was starting to crumble away. And they were looking at delamination on the surfaces of the, the bridge to see what was actually going on more deep rooted and how they could use that where they weren't having to put, you know, people on the ground and shutting roads down. They could actually do an inspection from the air, keep traffic moving and keep their people out of the roadway. So. So with use cases that are that specific uh, for people that are drone pilots and they and they come and, and join Adorama, like are you guys having, do you have a special onboarding program or educational programs or is it just part 107? No, it's definitely go? an onboarding process. And, and we really look to see, you know, yeah. um, it's, it's interesting as I've come to get to know this uh, industry more, the drone network is really kind of small, although it's big, you know, and across the country, you know, some of the key players and people that have been around for a while, um, seem to be pretty well known. So that makes it a little bit easier and trying to vet somebody to bring them on. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, we, we kind of want to know a little bit more of their history with the drones, how long they've been flying, where they've used it, what certifications they have that they can bring to the table, you know, as an offering uh, to their name. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, do you fly any BV loss or for those not familiar beyond visual line of sight missions? Um, we, we don't a whole lot. No, I mean, we have customers that are interested in it and obviously trying to get a lot of those, you know, waivers to do that. So, um, I think it's definitely something that we're going to evolve in a lot this year. It's probably one of the biggest targets, I think, just because there's so much, you know, wrapped around that. And obviously people talking about remote ID and what that's going to involve. So there's a lot of those things we're trying to get out in front of to see what is actually going to happen with them. And then where we need to stand with product offerings and trainings that kind of are encompassed in that. So. Thank you, James, for, for bridging that for me. <laughs> remote ID oh, was going to be our next uh, next topic. Talking about, I mean, the, the drone industry is kind of fascinating, right? I mean, not only is the technology uh, changing so rapidly, but also the regulations are catching up and changing. And one of the big things that's, that's coming down the pike is remote ID for drones. Uh, do you guys want to share your thoughts on, uh, on drone regulation and remote ID specifically? Yeah, um, I, I can see that obviously the, you know, the benefit of having it, how they'll roll it out and, you know, what will actually come of it when it comes time. You know, uh, it's the biggest question. We, we talk a lot with, um, you know, our manufacturers, DJI, Autel, uh, you know, Sensefly and those yeah. and uh, kind of, hey, what are you guys doing? What, what's out there? What are we going to, how are we going to, you know, bridge into this spectrum? And nobody knows <laughs> or has really any solid, you know, information. So that'll be uh, curious to see how the, you know, as we get into July and August and kind of, you know, towards the end of the year when it'll actually roll out, what'll actually come. I've been, I think everyone's been dying to hear what's going to come from the FAA's mouth on how this is all going to happen and what we're going to require drones to have uh, te technology wise to use that. If it's going to be the European side of things or yeah. if we're going to create our whole new system here in the United States. So. Right. Yeah. I think from my perspective, I can, you know, totally understand the value of it. Um, I don't envy the folks that are in charge of rolling yeah. it out, kind of like James was yeah. alluding to. It's got to be a tough task. Um, 
but if it's if it's done right and it and it helps uh, the, the proliferation of, of drones, um, you know, I think yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. So. So I think one of the biggest concerns surrounding remote ID um, is an issue of privacy. Um, the pilot's location being broadcast not only to law enforcement, but any member of the public. Um, does this worry you at all? Not really, no. I think that, uh, you know, it's one of those things that um, people are a little skittish of when you first get into something, but then the reality of it is it probably isn't as bad as you thought it was going to be. You know, I just like people were, uh, you know, kind of nervous about law enforcement getting into using drones, um, you know, for search and rescue and what we were going to be doing if we were going to be spying or, you know, uh, looking in places we shouldn't, um, you know, having some of that, especially if it's tracked, you know, I guess I don't really see a problem with it um, being known just so that, you know, if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, then you really shouldn't have anything to worry about. And maybe being able to validate that, you know, the complaints that we had used to take at different times about drones searching or looking in someone's house and then going to try and have a conversation with somebody and figure it out in those ongoing um, kind of complaints. If we had that, that track, you could basically kind of prove, you know, or show, you know, if it's tracking your whereabouts that you were never there in the first place. And we can kind of clear up those types of, mm -hmm. of situations pretty quickly and easily. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't know for the consumer that that'd be something terribly uh, hard to, to, I guess, get on board with, you know? Um, so, and you can obviously pull flight logs if you wanted to anyway, if you wanted to do something like that with certain brands. But um, I, I think if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, then there shouldn't be any room for concern. So, personal. Okay. I think perhaps one of the challenging things with remote ID is that it's kind of like a one size fits all. And if you look at how we have different drone categories, I mean, if you compare FPV flying versus, uh, let's say, the dreams that Amazon has where they use uh, or they're hoping to use maybe sometime in the future to <laughs> deliver all kinds of products to consumers by drone. Do you feel that the FAA should come up with different remote ID solutions for these different groups of, of, of people using drones? Would that make sense? Yeah, I think so, for sure. I, I mean, obviously, there's going to be, a, you know, at some point, a virtual highway in the sky, if you will, where, you know, I'm sure these heavy lift drones that are doing delivery for Amazon or Domino's Pizza or whatever gets on board with that type of thing. Um, the last thing you'd want to have to worry about if you were the Amazon operator running that drone program um, or one of these other bigger companies is somebody you know, flying at high speed into your yeah. traffic lane, just like you wouldn't want it to happen on the ground, you know, uh, type of thing. So, yeah. yeah, I definitely think that there's going to be a lot of benefits to it that way, for sure, and giving some clarity to what's going on where in the country, you know, so. They kind of try to do something like that with the 250 gram limit, right? If smaller drones yeah. under that, you don't really need to adhere to the remote ID. So there's already one split. And I guess, to your point, I think they there will be more 